Hello, you're listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. We are a general interest independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. This year, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had to close our store and cancel in-person events. But Skylight is your neighborhood bookstore, and we are finding ways to create community even while we're far apart. In the coming weeks, we'll be putting out lots of new audio content to help you discover new books, connect with authors, and check in with your favorite booksellers. To learn more about how you can help keep Skylight alive, please visit our website at skylightbooks.com or check out our social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Um, My name is Eve, and I'm a bookseller at Skylight Books, an independent bookstore in Los Angeles, located in the neighborhood of Los Feliz. So, Genevieve Hudson is the author of the novel Boys of Alabama, uh, which Oprah Magazine, Miss Magazine, and Lit Hub selected as a recommended book to read in 2020. Um, They live in Portland, Oregon. Cyrus Denham is a writer and organizer living in Los Angeles. They recently published their memoir, A Year Without a Name. Um, Thank you so much to both of you, and I'll let you two take it away. Hi, everyone. Do you want to, was it for you to start by reading? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, cool. (laughs) Um, yeah, okay, so um, I'm going to read a little bit from the book, um, probably for five minutes or so. I'll keep it kind of short, and then um, Cyrus and I will have a little bit of a conversation, and then we'll open it up to all of you to ask questions that you might have, and if anything comes up, you can always, like, type it in the chat while, you, while you're present to it, and then Cyrus will pick it up at the end. Um, yeah, and also thank you to Skylights and thank you to um, Eve and Cyrus for doing this with me. Um, I feel very grateful to get to um, talk about my book with y'all. So um, yeah, here it is. And I'm just going to read from the beginning. The boys are Alabama. They are red dirt and caked mud. They are grass stains on knee pads, names on the back of jerseys, field goals and fullbacks, Heisman trophies and touchdowns, a fat lip and a happy concussion. They are pine trees ripped up to make room for gas stations, stadium lights, drive-throughs, gridirons, and steel mills. Alabama wasn't built by them, but the boys swell with pride, a rabid and real thing like peanuts planted in the fields that they can harvest. Their trucks roll over roots and through dry creek beds and their bellies bulge with the surplus of it. The grain and corn culled from the ground that God watered for for them. Their muscles remember the past. They know how to gut a deer, how to slice a fish, how to tear cotton from the stem, how to tighten a fist in the middle of a house and lie. Rivers run fast in Alabama and sometimes as slow and sleepy as one of those rocking chairs abandoned on a porch where women used to sip sweet tea and wait. 
wait for something that isn't coming because nothing comes to Alabama anymore except for you. All right, um, now I'm gonna read just a little bit from the first chapter. From the plain Alabama unfurled in green fields and thick forests, wilder than Max had pictured, trees went in all directions and houses were hidden among them. He touched his nose to the glass window, the aerial engines whirred, the plane banked against a shelf of sky, the landing gear slammed into place and his mother, the fearful flyer, gripped the handrest between them. She slid her fingers over the back of Max's wrist and they descended over a neighborhood of slanted clapboard shacks that leaned toward one another, strewn junk going rotten in the yards. You've got a good seat, the father said. The plane lowered and lowered, front row to the action. From the airport, in the airport, Max's family bought sweet tea served in styrofoam cups so big he had to hold it with both his hands. He drank half of it and felt high. Sugar soared through him. He bought a disposable camera in the terminal kiosk from a man with marble eyes and a baseball cap with an Alabama A. Max had attended an exhibition in Berlin the previous month where an artist made collages out of pictures developed from a disposable camera and construction paper. The fuzzy low-res images had created a nostalgic quality out of dried toast and lonely mandarins. Max held the green plastic camera in his hand. Its picture quality would pale in comparison to the power of his phone, and that was the point. Max wanted to document the drive to his new home. He wanted the pictures he took to look sentimental and unsettled. Outside, the air hung in sheets. It was heavy when he swallowed and left a taste in his mouth he didn't know how to identify yet. His nose started to run, his legs to sweat, and his breathing moved up into his throat. On the drive to their new home, Max's mother mumbled, oh, it's actually quite beautiful. And Max agreed. He thought the landscape was exotic. All those red rivers they drove past, rushing like arteries cut open across the earth. The sky was burnt blue and the trees were jagged things that huddled together. Forests fattened along the highway. Max tried to look through the trees to see what was back there, but he only saw rows of more pines pointing upwards, reaching. Some had signs stapled to their trunks that warned, keep out and no trespassing and smile, you on camera. Others had fallen horizontal, their roots severed like veins as if a storm or some terrible force of nature tore them from the soil and no one had cared enough to clear them away. I think I'll stop there now. Um, well, first off, thank you so much for sharing that, Jen. And it's so good to see all of you here. I feel like some, I feel some personal loss that that um, Jen doesn't get to share this book with people in IRL rooms and, and that people don't get to have the experience of, of hearing them read and getting to meet them. Cause I feel like this book really necessitates that. Um, but I'm glad to see so many people here and I'm really, excited and touched to be getting to be in conversation with Jen. I was so surprised by this book. Like I, every time I thought I knew what was happening or what was being played with or what story was being told, it kind of went in this direction that totally defied my own sense of what I was getting into. Um, and it, I will say on like a deep like sensual readership level, it satisfied so many parts of me. 
Um, and I, I don't want to give, it's hard to talk about because I feel like it's a book that you really need to, the less you know going in, <laughs> the better because it, because that's just how it flows. So I'm going to try to ask questions that kind of give a sense of the ambiance of it, but don't give away too much. Um, but, and there's so, there's so much I'd like to ask, but I'll try to stay within the time so that you all have, have a chance to ask questions too. The first thing I wanted to ask is a question about, about genre and what genre meant to you in the process of writing this book, because it played with so many genres. You know, I was like, this is a Southern book. This is a queer coming of age book. This is a supernatural book. This is like, and then even on top of that, it went in so many other directions. Um, and so I, yeah, I was really curious what, what genres you were consciously playing with and, and what role the sort of like constraints of genre played in your, in your writing process. Um, yeah. Uh, also first, thank you for the wonderful introduction to the book. Um, and, uh, the kind words you said about it, they mean a lot to me. Um, but I guess, you know, it's interesting thinking about genre, um, because in a lot of ways too, this book, um, felt like I was inhabiting when I was writing a little bit of a different sort of even like subset of genres than what I normally write into, which sometimes tends to overlap with my own life a little bit more overtly. There's a lot of overlap here in terms of sort of emotional resonance or kind of feeling into characters um, and drawing some experiences from my life. But, you know, for the most part, it's so fictionalized that that kind of realm of writing that I'm used to doing, I felt more removed from it, um, which I had, I felt like I was given a lot of freedom in that too. And I, you know, I think I, when I was young, I really, really gravitated towards coming of age stories. I think there was something about that moment where someone is like becoming themselves or asking themselves for the first time, these hard questions about like, what it means, like what they really want and what that means in relationship to like what the rest of the world is expecting from them mm -hmm. and putting on them was just kind of riveting to me and very tender and stories that I were, was always very hungry for. So it made sense to me when I started kind of writing a novel for the first time that those were the themes that I was grappling with. And, you know, also as a queer person, issues of identity and sexuality and gender, are on the forefront of, you know, how I move through the world and what I'm thinking about. So of course, like that was also coming into the novel too. And I think that um, thinking in terms also of magic realism, um, there was something about leaning into the supernatural elements of magic that I think allowed me to get at some of the deeper questions I was trying to ask. So Max, you know, I don't think this gives anything away because it comes pretty early, but he has this power to bring things back from the dead, plants, small animals, and kind of who knows what else, you know, if that extends to people, it's unclear. And this power is something that he feels very ashamed of and something that he needs to hide from himself. And I think the way that that began, began to act as a metaphor for the other ways he was showing up in his life, especially in his gender identity and sexuality and the secrets he was holding was interesting to me. And I think just the more I started pushing um, at these kind of different ideas in the book, just the further I went with them. And I think people either like that or they don't with the book, like the fact that it's doing so much and kind of taking on a lot in terms of like kind of everything you were listing out. 
I think some people find that exciting and some people are like, there's a lot going on here. <laughs> I had that. That was a strength for me. <laughs> and that, I mean, you basically got at what my next question was going to be about, because I think it would be easy. I mean, I think it's so funny when you write a book and you pour like years of yourself into it and then you have to kind of get numb to seeing it distilled to like a one sentence <laughs> descriptor again and again. Right. That is kind of communicating what it's doing, but you're like, no, it's so much more than that. But I think that I imagine the book is being described as dealing with like supernatural themes or magical realism or um Southern yeah, Gothic. Southern Gothic, yeah, I saw that one. Um and it's funny because I was when I was working on the questions, I was thinking about even the term supernatural <clears throat> implies that there's this like excess or something added on top of what reality is. But what I actually felt in the reading of the book was that magic, this other dimensional space where supernatural things happen was a place where we as readers and, and the characters could actually access like a deeper truth of what was kind of like rumbling below the surface in their lives and in this place um, that the magic, you know, isn't this, isn't this excess, but is actually this like un this uncovering. So I wanted to ask you, I mean, yeah, what, what it meant to you to, to play with magic and to play with the supernatural and how you kind of came to a decision to, to bring that into the, the story. Cause I think it was really bold. Um, and, but I think it was, it did so much work. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting because I, when I started writing this book, I didn't have a clear roadmap for it and I didn't go in knowing, I knew that at its core, there was going to be a love story and there were certain things I knew about it. I didn't know that Max was going to have this power and I discovered it really through language. I was writing a scene and I so visually saw him touch this mouse and it come back to life and this feeling of, you know, something else that's a part of this experience for him is that he has a really embodied experience of like tasting um, a sweetness associated with some food that we eat or, you know, some kind of fruit, something like that, come into his mouth and kind of flood him as he felt like this life. And that was a really powerful moment for me to write into. And the language that I was using kind of came to life in a certain way that was exciting to me. And it wasn't that much of a departure from certain other things I had written because in graduate school, I was really reading a lot of stories that were dealing with magic realism and kind of bringing in normalized magic and, you know, kind of everything else was life as we know it, but there's like one strange something amiss and that something amiss usually did speak I think to like kind of as you were saying like a deeper ex excavation um mm -hmm. to something that's going on and um I see that like that Kira typed into the chat boy box which is a story that I wrote for a journal that she um runs which is a beautiful journal no tokens and boy box I wrote in grad school and there are some hints of this kind of power that Max has, I think, in that story, where the narrator in that story also had the ability to heal. And I think there might have been some remnants of that story kind of kicking around in me when I encountered it, you know, as I was writing this novel and gave these powers to Max and then developed them in a more full way. But it's kind of interesting how 
remnants of things we've written in the past can like find their way back into our fiction and then kind of come to life or make even more sense and you know whatever new place they're arriving in i love how that the way you describe encountering max's magic or max's powers through writing because it almost speaks to the way that writing is its own form of channeling like you didn't go into that character with a will actually something was revealed to you and i i know i thought a lot in reading about the relationship between the type of magic that um takes place in the book and then the type of like summoning um and transformation and rebirth that's also put in motion by the the writing process right yeah exactly yeah yeah it's like sometimes i think and you know i don't like i really don't feel often like i'm hit with hot bolts of inspiration or something (laughs) when i'm writing and i'm i know some people have this experience and they feel really taken over when they're writing and they're like this is just coming to me but for me there are moments where i'm like deep in language and one sentence is sort of calling for certain words or certain descriptions and then i just start to see images that come out of this kind of language it's almost like something that i hear kind of the sonics of the sentences start to to come alive and that's sort of how that happens for me often i love that so much um um, there's, I feel scarcity and anxiety about the amount of time we have. Um, you know, the, the book is also like just such a profound study of, of masculinity, of masculinities of boys and men, and particularly um, Southern masculinity and particularly white Southern masculinities. Um, and I just loved that. And I so like cherished the the way in which even in describing the ways that sort of like violence or harshness kind of like run through these boys and men's lives that there also was like so much tenderness and so much gentleness and sweetness and that they kind of like cohabitated. I think that can be really rare and I found it really meaningful. Um, but yeah, I was, I was wondering if you could kind of speak to the audience and, and to me. <laughs> about what it meant to you to, to sort of take on this study of, of, of masculinity. And if that is something that had been growing inside you for, for a long time. Yeah, I, you know, growing up in Alabama, I was very much, um, you know, what was referred to as a tomboy. I, um, most of my friends when I was young were boys. I skateboarded, we put a lot of sports together. I, um, you know, refused to dress in, clothes from the girls department store. I always wanted, I only wanted to wear like men's clothes. I wanted my hair cut to look like JTT. I like specifically asked my hairdresser for that, (laughs) you know? And so I think that there was this curiosity in me from a young age on like what it meant to be a boy, what masculinity looked like. I was sort of at once like fascinated and taken with masculinity and also felt like I was, you know, at some point, being told that I, you know, kind of could go no further in that mm-hmm. search and, um, or in that like connection. Um, and I, I actually am like working on an essay right now that will be coming out soon. That's sort of about these like really important friendships that I had with boys in my youth that I think really influenced the way that I thought about boyhood and especially Southern boyhood and the way that these boys actually were very 
had a lot of sweetness and a lot of tenderness that was sort of began to be like taken out of them because of like the kind of masculinity that I think was presented as the gold standard to be like in certain communities that I was growing up with. And I think that we see in like a lot of, you know, communities where there's like really strong gender roles in terms of like what it means to be a man and what it means, you know, to, to be like strong and wield power. And, um, I was very interested in sort of that transition moment and like what happens when like, I think in this essay, like two of the boys I was closest to in my childhood died and they never became sort of the men that masculinity was bringing them into or was turning them into. And I was sort of fascinated in this idea of like, what does it mean to like stay a boy forever? And Mm -hmm. that also had me thinking a lot about like the ways that like boys had really been my muses in some ways when I was young and like objects of fascination for me in a way that was different from how they were with other, you know, like people that were, that were growing up as girls. And, um, yeah, so I think that like in this book, those were issues and kind of questions that I was really asking myself and wanted to contend with and wanted to kind of confront on the page. And because they really shaped the way I moved through the world when I was, when I was young and when I was kind Mm. of developing my sense of identity. Mm, That's beautiful. I love that. And I think I really, it's interesting to hear you say boys were your muses because I think like the way in which boys are described in the book, there's, there's something about it. It's so adoring, but not always, not necessarily like sexualizing or objectifying it. There was, there was something I was trying to figure out and, but it's interesting because obviously our guide through the book is Max. Um, and for those of you that haven't read the book, Max is, is from Germany. So he is having, he has just arrived in Alabama and has this, is this kind of outsider's eye. Um, but I thought it was like brilliant to, that Max was our guide and, and the, the, the insight that we got into this place, into Alabama and into the boys and into their world through this outsider's eye was like, it allowed for, a, for us to be led through this place in a really like unusual and, and profound way. Um, and I was just really curious, again, how you came to because he's an outsider in many ways, but then that outsiderness is like blatant in this one obvious way, which is that he's from another place. And also it's really interesting that he's, that he's German, that he's European, you know, that that, like he could, of all the places that he, that he could be from. Um, But I, yeah, I wondered how you came to him being an outsider in that way and what that, what that voice meant to you. Yeah, I, so I also, I, so, you know, as Cyrus, you were describing, like Max is, you know, a young German boy in his teen years and he moves to rural Alabama and um, he, you know, he's, he's queer in Germany. He was seen as like kind of strange. He was like, he was somebody who like never really quite fit in, but coming to Alabama, he's has this sort of people see him a little bit more with a kind of like they idealize him a little bit. You know, he's from this like, you know, white, wealthy European country and he, you know, fits their image of what this like kind of perfect boy should be. And he's welcomed very readily into the like football team. And yet there are these sides of him, there are these sides of him that are, that are sort of, um, accepted or seem to be accepted in a way that he's never experienced before, which are 
kind of thrilling and intoxicating. And yet there's still this side of him that's, you know, that, that is really different. And that's also attracted to difference. And that's attracted to, you know, who this person becomes his love interest. That's like this queer goth kid who kind of captivates his mind and heart. And I think it was important for me that he was able to serve this role where he was idealized by the culture. So it was very welcoming to him. You know, it was kind of that a specific kind of like immigrant experience where he's like, you know, looked on with these like kind of hard eyes in some ways. And yet he is seeing this place that was very familiar to me in the deep South with like a set of fresh, strange eyes. So I was also able to look at kind of some of the customs and idiosyncrasies from the South that, maybe just like, I don't even see them anymore because they're so familiar to me, but I could really look at them again and kind of turn them over and be like, what does this look like to someone who's never seen it? How does this land when you just kind of describe what it is? And mm-hmm. um, yeah, like there is a term in Russian formalism of defamiliarization and Viktor Shlotsky said like, uh, the attempt of defamiliarization in writing and in art is to make the stone stony. Because like a stone, if you just say stone, we don't even really register it or think about it. It's just kind of like a stone, like we don't even really bring anything to mind. But if you start to like describe the smooth curve or the ridges or like the exact color, then you make it unfamiliar and then you actually see what it is. So Mm -hmm. I think by making Alabama unfamiliar, which I could do through the eyes of Max, I felt like I could show you what it really is. In some way. Well, it's a it's a brilliant um, prompt for a writing group or a or a class to to try to write about your home as if you'd never as if you're a person to whom it was completely foreign. I I just thought it was so it made me want to do that on my own about all these places that 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 I know to to try to kind of re meet them through through those eyes. Yeah. Um, so I told you this, but a lot of friends of mine stole the book from me so and interrupted my reading experience. And it was hard for me to get through it as quickly as I wanted to because people kept taking it from me. Very but a dear, dear friend of mine who loved the book really wanted me to ask you about um, what rebirth meant to you in the book. There are so many themes of like rebirth, coming back to life, spiritual rebirth, reawakening. Mm-hmm. Um, coming you know coming back from death um and obviously this is like super present in the way that i think we often think about gender and sexuality too that coming into our sexualities our genders is this like restart this reawakening um and in the book there's as you alluded to i think that queerness and magic kind of are in this like relationship with one another where they function they, they almost I, don't, I didn't feel that magic was just a metaphor for queerness. I also felt that queerness was a metaphor for magic, that they kind of are like, you know, relate and mirror each other, mirror, mirror one another in this like, in this powerful way. Um, and so I wanted to ask you, and my friend wanted me to ask you to speak a little bit more about how you were thinking through questions of rebirth. Yeah, I also really like love that you say that it also felt like, queerness was a metaphor for magic. Um, it's kind of like a beautiful like way to think, I don't know, like I do think they're in conversation in that way. And I like thinking mm-hmm. about it kind of in the inverse is how I described it. Um, 
Yeah, I think, you know, I grew up in a really like Christian um, community. And I think I have since a young age, like been very, like went to Catholic school, um, images of, um, you know, death and rebirth have been influencing me since I was like, very young, you know, like where I went to school, there's like pictures of, you know, like a like bloody Jesus, like hanging from the cross. It's, it's actually, and that's another thing that's like quite interesting when you think about like that image that's so ubiquitous um, in a lot of places, like actually how startling it is and how strange. And this idea, I think that really captivated me from a young age was that you could, that there was an ability to die symbolically or not, and have like in be reborn into a person that was pure and good whatever that means for you you know pure and good it's like that could even be like your sense of like what newness is or there's like a chance of being able to start again or to go back and sort of like edit experiences that you've had and like transform and I think transformation for me has always been something that I'm like continually seeking out. Um, mm -hmm. Like how do I continue to stay in flux as a person? You know, whether that's like in like my thinking and my like the ways that I kind of um, think about like myself or like my gender or my art, like what does it mean to like kind of constantly be negotiating like the terms with which we're showing up to our lives in. Mm -hmm. And I think it's right that there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of image of like, in the book of, you know, death, like Max is always encountering things that are dead and wanting to give life to them. And I think that there is something in himself too, that's like, like me is fascinated with this, you know, new concept that's been given to him that like through death, that he can somehow achieve like life or some kind of better version of himself, some sort of like ideal. And I think he's also on a search to be sort of I don't know, like embodying whatever that real truth is within him, like that kind of capital T truth that's very elusive to us all. And I don't even know if we ever even find it. But I think that search um, happens through like part of you dying off and part of you kind of being reborn through like the ashes of that. And that's sort of like a beautiful thing, I think. Yeah, well, he he takes this like really profound and like sensual pleasure in getting to touch and be in close proximity to death. Of course, there's also this rebirth aspect, but it's very eerie and very beautiful yeah. to think about death that way. Yeah. Um, I also, and I have other questions on the docket, but I'm gonna end for now and then move to, to everyone else. But I had a question I wanted to ask you, which is something I always wonder when I read a book I love and get to talk to the person who wrote it, which is, you know, and it's, I know it's different for fiction and I'm fascinated by you as like a sort of alien species as a fiction writer. <laughs> um, but I am really curious what the writing of this book, which I imagine was a very long and, you know, manifold process. I'm really curious what it opened up for you or what, why it felt, both why it felt necessary and then also what, was opened up for you by this, this, the process of writing it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not, you know, it's interesting because I don't think it is, in some ways it seems like the exact book I always needed to write. And in some ways, the fact that this is the book that I wrote surprises me. Um, 
But I think that there are these, you know, all of us kind of that are, you know, writing and kind of excavating, like, in some ways we're excavating old wounds or we're exploring them or we're touching them in some way. And I think that contending with um, this idea of that, you know, that even though Max, this character is very different from me in a lot of ways. And obviously like, I'm not like a young German boy moving to rural Alabama, but, <laughs> but there are a lot of like thematic issues that felt very present to me and like as a young person growing up that I think I needed to explore and excavate, especially about masculinity, especially about religion, and especially about the deep South that I felt I needed to, to write in order to be able to move on and write about mm -hmm. something new or something different. Like it was sort of that book that I had to pull forth from myself. Um, and I think, you know, one thing that it opened up for me was kind of a new, very tender relationship with the state that I grew up in, with Alabama. Um, I spent a lot of time thinking about Alabama, reading about Alabama. When I would go back to Alabama while I was writing this book, I wrote most of it while I was living in Amsterdam. I lived there for many years. And um, when I would come back, I really was like curious about the place I grew up in a way that like I hadn't experienced in a long time. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to really like listen and look in a way that I think when I was younger, I didn't always allow myself to do because I felt, you know, even a little bit more like, I just wanted to, I wanted to leave so bad when I was young that I wasn't able to appreciate the things about it that like were really special to me. And I think that by like writing this book about that was set there, I just developed like a much like deeper and like more like a special relationship with the place I grew up that like I wasn't really expecting to come out of it but definitely did. I mean the way that Alabama's written about is beautiful and seductive and and yeah may I like wanted to yeah it was it was it was really powerful um and that someone actually asked in the chat how much of the setting Tom asked how much of the setting is a character and if so, how did you conceptualize Alabama as a kind of character? Yeah. Um, hi, Tom. <laughs> um, I think that Alabama is very much a character in the novel. Um, and I spent a lot of time really thinking about, like reflecting on and thinking about what, you know, it felt like, what it smelled like, what it was like to be there. And when I would go home and visit over the course of writing this novel, sometimes I would go out for walks or I would go on drives and I would just talk into my phone, like what I was seeing or smelling. And I would just, you know, kind of be listing off things that I was seeing on the side of the road, the way people were dressed. You know, if somebody said something interesting, I would write it down. I, you know, was asking a lot more questions than I had before. And I think that that was all to try to really build up, like, what is this place? Like, how do I put people here you know because i think also alabama is a place that like people have a lot of ideas about what it's like and you know not just in america but in europe too where i was living you know alabama is like a national like it's in it has some international fame <laughs> for better or worse you know and so i really wanted to like bring like a sense of like what is this place really and like where's also the way that it like kind of cap you know may, is exciting or different and strange for this young boy exotic even 
I hope everyone's taking notes on really, really good writing prompts. We've got uh, writing about the place that you grew up as if you are a foreigner seeing it for the first time, and then also driving around and recording in your cell phone everything you, that you see. I'm immediately like gonna use these to break my writer's block starting <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> um, Carmen asked, how do you explain Max's fascination with the judge? And maybe you could give a little background on the judge. Yeah, so the judge is, um, that's an interesting question. I haven't been asked that yet. Um, and so, okay, so the judge is um, a political figure who has a lot of sway in the town of Delilah and also in Alabama as a state. And the judge is running for governor. He is very charismatic. He believes in a very um, bizarre brand of like, Christianity, which has roots in a lot of truth, actually, in, in a lot of rural communities, um, where he kind of believes in gifts of the spirit, speaking in tongues. He believes that, um, you know, that he has some strange ideas about like, snake handling and drinking poison as a way to believe your, prove your belief in Jesus. And he, you know, really, really wants people to um, uh, kind of go to war. And he uses a lot of, like, military language when he thinks about, um, getting people on his side to campaign for his issues. He sees it as really a spiritual war for like the heart of the state and like what is moral and good. And his values are very rooted in like a lot of like misogyny and racism and, you know, white supremacy where he, uh, and he, but he also very strongly believes that like, this is like his purpose that's been granted to him by God to like, I don't know, save Alabama essentially. And I think that the judge also, it, like, really, truly, like, believes that, like, he has a true, true belief in, like, what he's doing, and especially in the sense of, like, what God wants him to do. And I think that, like, the way that he holds kind of power over the rest of the community is very confusing to Max, because he kind of thinks, like, if all of these people I'm connecting with, like, believe this guy, there has to be something true about it, right? And the judge also talks in language that talks about healing and salvation and the power of human relationship and these kinds of things that we all know to be like good and true things that we need in our life. And so I think when you conflate that with these like horrible systems of oppression and you're just encountering these things for the first time, it's really confusing. And having someone who can come in and say like, I really know what the right way to do things is and what the wrong way to do things is and if you're with me then you're right and I have the answers for you that's you know that feels good so I think that's what Max was taken with and I will I want to say that something I so valued is that of course there's a lot of themes in the book that some people call hate and that have to do with these like really intense systems of systems of oppression but the way that the characters are written out it's so obvious that there's, that people are like, are you breaking up? Sorry, I lost you for a sec. I lost my, can you hear me? I can, yes. Okay, we, we cut out. Um, okay. It's so, the, the people's specific and different and highly personal moral frameworks are incredibly, incredibly built out such that I think it, I think it's like the book really pushes past reductive ideas about the places that people operate from. And that even things that we often call and think of as hate 
are rooted in these like deeply felt, you know, perceptions of, of morality and, and spirituality. And I think that's incredibly important and also just really important right now. And I really valued that. That wasn't a question. It was a, it was a compliment. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but I'm curious what you think about that. And then we can go to the next question. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't think I could even say it better than how you just did. You know, like, I agree. Like, I'm glad that that is kind of something that came forth in the book and that you saw reflected there, because I think that's really what I was hoping for it to do and to comment on. And it felt important for me to kind of be bringing those issues up because they are alive and well in, you know, America and in Alabama. And um, I wanted to be able to talk about it in a way that felt a little different. Okay, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. <laughs> um, asked, can you talk about the intersection of the idea of boyhood with the idea of transformation, rebirth, and awakening in the book? Yeah, interesting. So, okay, so we talked a little bit earlier about kind of rebirth and this, um, you know, maybe drive or pull that Max had to um, transform or like awaken another side of himself or kind of maybe encounter some sort of like redemption through death, through like finding his true self, through letting an old part kind of go um, in his fascination with this circle of death and life. Um, how it relates to boyhood um, is, is interesting to think about. I think, um, I think that, you know, in this, like, in, in like the, the place, the age that he is in the book and the age that he's like encountering these boys as well is like this time of true transformation. You know, it's this cusp where like boys are becoming men and you know, you see sort of like old, maybe like even like tenderness or, or sort of like things that like maybe were more acceptable as boys starting to fall away and, and like a hardening start to happen. And um, I think that that is almost like a, a reverse of the kind of like rebirth or transformation that Max in some ways is longing for. And in some ways is being, that is being advocated for in like the in like the kind of perversion of religion that they're enacting, they're, they're still saying at least that they believe in goodness and redemption and salvation and transformation and these things. And yet, you know, what you see happening for a lot of these like boys becoming men is almost like a reverse or an inverse of this kinds of, that kind of rebirth or transformation. It's a hardening. It's like a turning inward. It's a kind of, I don't know, like shutting off or shutting down parts of yourself and embracing um, things that I think are going to cause a lot of like violence for them later on in their mm. lives and in the lives of people near them. I don't know if that's exactly kind of, you know, feel free to like clarify or to ask another question about that, but I think that's maybe what you're getting at. Yeah, we can come back to that if, if there's a follow-up question. Um, so Logan asks, in the world of this book, to what extent is masculinity intrinsically queer? Even beyond the characters who are actually queer, how did the traditions and rituals of Southern masculinity like football and evangelical worship take on their own queerness? That's such a good question. That is a, yeah, it is. Um, yeah, it's interesting because there is, you know, I think in like, I'll kind of, I'll kind of explore this as I'm talking because I haven't, you know, deeply thought like through maybe like the answer that I would want to have the, the time and attention to give that question. Like it's 
has a lot of layers. Um, but I do think that, you know, kind of when we're talking about Southern masculinity and, you know, the sort of like, maybe like a hardness or like, a, like the more violent aspects to it, like, there is something that you find like in football and in religion, like Christian religion, that I do think like allows for like, if you think of football, like, there are men like walking around like very performatively like in tights you know with like these like these fancy outfits and there's like a lot of glamour and glory and glitter and you know they're tackling each other and they're rolling around on the ground and there's something that's like very homoerotic about it that I also kind of tried to lean into in my book because I just think it is there and you know there's this sort of like there's a culture within it that's almost like no homo man but then they're like rolling around like in these like fancy uniforms like and tackling each other and like bonding in this really intense way and showering naked next to each other and doing all of these things and you know grooming their bodies in this really special way and there's like something about it that is like very performative in a way that's almost theatrical and i think there is something especially from like that's kind of inherently queer about that and i do think that the spectacle of like a um of a kind of like gifts of the spirit church you can see something similar in that you know there's likewise like a very like performative quality there's like a stage a stage kind of element to it where you have you know um you have like a very powerful figure who is like up front who's dressed in robes who is you know kind of calling forth um people to like dance or to do these like kind of rituals and there's something again about that that I think has like the spectacle of it can be seen as like having a queer read too what do you think about that Cyrus I think you definitely leaned into it <laughs> <laughs> I mean it was hot that's the other thing it's really the book I, I, I think it's always important to know that the book is is extremely hot <laughs> um and I am so happy for all of the Southern closeted teenagers who are gonna get to read this book and have all of their fantasies come true, hopefully now and then also later in real life. Um, and it's hot. I mean, I do wanna, I mean, you know, there is also a lot of femininity in the book. Um, and I would argue a lot of trans femininity and gender nonconformity. And I was so appreciative of that. Um, and I think some people might be surprised that that that's the direction through which you explore gender nonconformity. And I thought that that was so cool. Um, and one of the main characters, Pan, is, you know, playing with gender in a way that, I think the, the way that you captured how femininity, particularly gender nonconforming trans femininity, um, both terrifies and like, then also is the recipient of such like profound consumptive desire. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I thought it was really, really incredible and unusual and definitely un and definitely unusual in a book about young people um, and is something that I feel like so many people, so many young gender nonconforming trans feminine people have that, the experience of living at the intersection of people's vitriol and desire. Um, and I thought that it was really beautiful the way that you wrote about that. Um, um, I, and on that note, I, I do have a, a, another question I could ask, but I want to make sure, do other people have questions that they want to throw down? Okay, I'm going to ask another question and maybe a question will come in. It's hard, I know, in writing. Um, I think just, you're, the way, it's so helpful for me as a writer, the way you talk about your writing process. Um, and 
So I'm really curious to just hear, like, again, I'm not a fiction writer. So I was so in awe of all the characters that you were able to hold and the way that people could become such full characters, even if we only met them a couple times or, you know, they were just described in passing. So I'm just really curious what your process is for like keeping track of and organizing um, our like interstitial characters. Like how do you actually build, for those of us who haven't written fiction and maybe want to, um, how do you build out a world of characters in the way that you did? Yeah, I think when I, once I, you know, it, in the initial process of writing the book, I was just really writing and discovering, you know, who the characters and the cast would be. Um, and once I kind of felt like, okay, these are the people, you know, because in that editing process too, like a lot of characters kind of get cut or maybe blend into one character or you start to see, you know, two characters are acting a little bit too similarly in the way they speak or, you know, something like this. And it became really important to differentiate especially because there's this whole chorus of boys, football boys, and I wanted them to each feel like un unique developed characters. And even if they only had, you know, a couple of pages a piece. So I, I actually like created character cards um, where I, you know, would do a Google image search and find <laughs> a face to think about when I thought about the character. And then I would put it in this doc. I don't write in Scrivener, which is a word processing kind of, um, software, but I do, like, I did play with it, and I wrote some of the book in this, and I did keep character cards in Scrivener, so Scrivener's another place you guys can check out, but it doesn't work for me for, like, writing the whole book, but, and then I would just, like, write down, like, for some of them, like, what were, you know, some of their pasts, like, what, you know, what have I written about them so far, what color is, is, you know, are their eyes, is their hair, what is, like, a kind of identifying detail about them, these were all things that kind of were fun for me actually to to create and it felt like side work to the book that was very much a part of world building that mm. was just a little bit more fun because I didn't have to be so painstaking over every sentence and also characters fun for me like the characters of books are always the most interesting um so I think to bring them to life I really just like created little bios and um I'm going to continue to do that actually I think with whenever I write a longer project you make writing sound so much more fun than I expected <laughs> it to be. <laughs> um, okay, we have a question from Aaron. Um, Max has a power that connects him on a private level to spirit, but he wishes to reject this power and instead seeks a collective experience of religion. Can you speak to the idea of spirituality versus religion in the book and how this relates to queerness? Yeah. Um, I've never thought about it quite like that, but that is really true. You know, I mean, one thing that was always like, I was very aware of in the book was that Max, you know, he has this true, you know, and as far as we know, like his power to heal is true. But this, the religion that he's drawn to, that like the collective religion, um, and also the spirituality of Pan um, in the, the way that Pan wants really to be a witch and wants to be able to kind of harness magical powers. And, you know, these don't really seem in the world of the book to be really taking root. Like we don't really see the fruits of those labor. We just see that Pan has this power and yet it doesn't really seem to be like enough for him. He's looking outside of himself for other kind of other kinds of religion. And I think some of that has to do, maybe if we like take a queer lens to it, like, he is living, you know, and I think that there is like a lot of intersection between, you know, the history of queerness and secrecy. 
And, um, you know, he is very much like living in alongside a secret, you know, and that's not just that he's gay. It's that he has this other bizarre, you know, connection to the spiritual world that he's not ready to tell people about because he's ashamed of what people will do, how they will react. And so I think what feels better is to embrace a collective, which means vetted, which means safe, which means accepted form of, you know, connection with the world, with religion, even if it's not as real as the one he has, because it's been that it's because it's like socially acceptable. Mm -hmm. And so I think there is like a way that that is like, you know, skirting his own highest self, skirting his own, like, you know, kind of true power, both like in terms of like higher, like his power and then his actual power um, in order to like, just be loved and accepted by people collectively. Um, even if that means that it's like a less true form of um, religion. And I think in some ways that is like what religion, what like mass religion can do is it can take some of the spirituality or like more true connection to like a divine world away from things because humans get involved and humans like pollute most things that we touch. Okay, we've got one more question. Okay. And then we will let everybody leave Zoom and return to <laughs> real life, which barely exists anymore. Um, Leah Pardo said, I enjoyed when you described your writing process coming back to Alabama. It seems like you had a lot of fun writing this novel. How did you deal with moments of crisis? Did you experience them and how did you confront them? Um, yes, I experienced many moments <laughs> of this. <laughs> um, I nursed very, many, many anxieties um, throughout the process. I mean, there is, of course, like writing is also fun to me because if it was only torturous and anxiety producing, then I probably wouldn't do it as much as I do. But it's definitely arduous and it definitely brings up like a lot of fears. So, um, I think like some things that help me kind of confront that are, you know, unity and like the, the friends that I have that are also writing. It's so important to be able to like talk about like the anxieties or the fears or just the, things that you're confronting in your work that you don't know how to get around with like people in your life that are doing that same work. I think that that was so invaluable to me. Um, and then on another like realm, just like going to therapy, moving my body a lot, like those things like help me get out of my head in a certain way and like back into sort of like, like a physical place that feels more grounded. And from that place I found that I can actually be more creative and generative. So think like some self-care practices, community, and just like kind of just, I think there's also something about just telling yourself, like the more you write, for me at least, the more I write, the more I come to understand that like there are going to be some days when you feel really good about what you've written and there are going to be many days where you don't feel that <laughs> and you feel a lot of anxiety or you have just feel like unsure and that that's just part of it. That is like a feeling that you're going to move through and a part of this process has really been helpful to me. Cool. Um, thank you so much to everyone who showed up. I just want to say support this book. It's a really weird time to put a book out in the world, but buy it as a gift for your friends who grew up in the deep South. Buy it as a gift for your friends who have extremely ignorant misconceptions of the deep South. Buy it as a gift for... <laughs> You know, I I, I kind of can't imagine who wouldn't get off on it and learn from it. 
so support it and it was really fun i'm very touched i got to do this and and all of the questions were so awesome thank you to being so generous with everyone jen thank you so much that that was i just had so much fun answering those questions and you were just had such operations about my book i it means a lot to me thank you for listening to the skylight books podcast series Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon. I see.